So stay tuned. I feel, I see God's angels. I see. Yes, we got God's angels bringing us the word for Sunday worship. get prayed up and hear the word from my special feature preacher hear ye the word to the gospel of John the 11th chapter of John I'll read from the New International Version, the 38th through the 45th verse. Well, actually, we read down to the 44th verse. John, the 11th chapter, the 38th through the 44th verses. And there you will discover these words. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you were always, you would always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may be believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, I, I want you to, to think with me this morning about the subject, the miracle of coming out. 
the miracle of coming out. This particular passage of scripture is one of the most well-known passages that contains one of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible. It is the story of Jesus's friend, Lazarus. And Jesus's friend, Lazarus, had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They too were friends of Jesus. And it's interesting because the Bible makes a point here of underscoring the familial feel and the intimate acquaintance of Jesus with this family unit. That's not often the case that the scriptures point to somebody for whom Jesus felt such passion. And so, you know the story, the great song of our faith talks about Mary, don't you weep, and Martha, don't you moan. You know the story of them sending word to Jesus to stop what he was doing, to stop his ministry, to minister to his friend. And if he's such a friend of Jesus, certainly he'll stop what he's doing and minister to his beautiful and wonderful friend Lazarus, but Jesus is in the midst of teaching and doesn't stop his ministry. And he said, but this is not going to be unto death. Lazarus is sick, but he's not going to die. And, and so they go on, and then the word comes that Mary and Martha whom he loved, told him that Lazarus was sick. And even after hearing about it, he stayed for two more days. Is this how you treat people you love? You hear somebody's ill, you rush to their bedside, you hear somebody's taken in sickness, you get to them as soon as you can. But Jesus said, Essentially, this is going to be an object lesson in the spirit of God and that God will get the glory in the outcome. And so finally, after two days, Jesus said, let's go back to Judea. And some of his disciples says, but Rabbi, some of the religious folk are out to get you. And if you go back there, uh, it's going to be a problem. And Jesus answered in a parable like he always does, these complicated and difficult sayings when you want them just to speak plainly. John's in prison saying, hey, are you the one to come or should we look for another? Because my head is literally on a platter in a few hours and I'm about to die. And even then, Jesus didn't answer directly. He said, tell John what you see and hear. The lame are raised again. The dead are raised. 
Those who were blind received their sight and those who are ill are healed. But he won't answer directly. He just will not give a direct response. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sharp contrast to all these folk who say Jesus be talking to them all the time. Why is it that in the Bible, he always speaking in parables, but Negroes say he speaks plainly to them? I'm just saying. I mean, Jesus all through the Bible is just maddening in his refusal to be clear. Won't be direct. And in this instance, again, telling stories that testify to the faith that one must have in God. And then the word came that Lazarus was dead. And he said, Lazarus is asleep. That's all. And I'm going to wake him up. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you can take comfort in that. Maybe. But if you don't, that looked like a difficult thing to do. And so they hung back and they went on back to Judea and Jesus goes on to comfort the sisters. And you know the story. If you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Jesus said, well, there's a bigger purpose in the midst of the hurt and pain. And we need to hear that story, of course, because a lot of us are like Martha and Mary. Had you been here, God, had you showed up, where are you when we need you most? Where's your spirit when those who suffer and endure trauma need some direct divine intervention without all of the parables and stories? Where are you? Tell me plainly. Sat yesterday at the funeral of a pop princess in America. In agony, she died under circumstances that are still being investigated and the press rushed to narrate her story. Talk about what she's about when Elvis died. Ain't nobody mentioned all that stuff. A lot of white superstars died. They doing a lot of crazy stuff because partly what it means to be an artist is to do crazy stuff. And sometimes you do crazier stuff to yourself to yield a benefit and an advantage to those of us who who almost worship you, but we worship you into woundedness. We seek your gift and extract your talent from you without replenishing the source of the giving. And so, 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 so addictions come, but, but everybody got them. Yours just ain't on the front page. Oh yeah. You got them too. Oh yeah. Yours might be crack. Yours could be crack up. Come on. Tell just it. one brick short of a load, just struggling Tell it. with Come your on. mentality or your mind, but you won't get no help because oh, yeah. you said Jesus is all you need. No, you Come need on. more than that. Amen. Jesus gave you common sense. Amen. Common sense. Get you a therapist and some Prozac and Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sat there and listened to the stories of her tremendous life and her suffering and you wonder all the time they talk about her carrying her bible dog-eared reading it and what difference did it make some would say none is a judgment of her 
but as a judgment of the God who is called upon. Where is God in the midst of the trial and trauma and tragedy that you inevitably and unavoidably confront? Come on. Preach. One thing to talk about God and announce theologically what you are certain of, but it's another thing to grapple with the existential misery that besieges your soul in the silent hours when ain't nobody looking. Come on. When you know what you're doing to self-medicate, when you know what you're doing to avoid the misery, when you know what you're doing, the ennui, the horror, the boredom, the, the, the distraction that comes from meaninglessness in your life or your deep and profound depression. Depression. Especially if you're a minister of the gospel or somebody who sings about the wonders of Jesus. Yep, come on. So Jesus said it's going to be for God's glory, but that's a faith statement. Gets on there. The sister said, if you'd have been here, had a different outcome. Come on. Then Jesus goes to the tomb. And here, the Bible says Jesus wept. Two words that talk about the compassion of God. Jesus wept. He didn't cuss. He didn't get mad like some of us do. We disagree with each other, even in the faith. We just, we just ready to cuss each other out. You going to hell in a handbasket because you don't agree with me. You don't believe what I believe. You don't say it like I said. You haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus only. Your theology contradicts my theological perspective. Your faith stance is different from mine. You're a Pentecostal and I'm an Episcopal. You're a Baptist and I'm a Church of God in Christ. So, so we begin to argue over internecine differences that fragment the faith and divide our souls and it has nothing to do at all. Come on, Chief Preach. Nothing. Everybody want to be so right. With the meaning and significance of faith. Woo. Preach. So Jesus weeps. The Bible says in a loud voice, he calls out to Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. Come on out. And then this miracle, the greatest miracle recorded that Jesus did. Lazarus rises from the dead. All of that grave clothing on and miraculously appears again, proving Jesus to be right about the fact that Lazarus was sleeping. He woke him up. The miracle of coming out, calling Lazarus, because Lazarus couldn't do it by himself. Jesus had to call Lazarus and tell him he had to come out. Oh, yeah. And so, my friends, for the... Remaining moments, I want to meditate upon the meaning of this text yes. for our lives today. Yes, come on. I want to talk about especially the tragedy of black homophobia. Woo, come on. Now, in recent days, we've heard a lot of stuff going on. Some of our beloved friends caught in controversy. Black people making arguments on Twitter and Facebook. And come on. People calling on Jesus to beat up on gay people enough is enough. Is enough. Stop it, stop it, stop you it. and I Woo, stop it. Stop it. You and I cannot participate 
and in dr dr the dramatic bullying. assault upon gay or lesbian or transgender bullying. or bisexual people. Woo, come on, bullying. We say homosexual and we talk about homosexuality and we talk about in the Bible, first of all, homosexual as a term wasn't even coined until the 1800s, so I don't think it's in the Bible. And then when it got in the Bible, it got in in the 1940s in a particular translation of the Bible. So before you say, Dyson, you're crazy, look at all those scriptures. There's about eight of them that talk about homosexuality. Come on. Uh, be careful because we believe in the word. So do I. Oh, yeah. But what I believe in is God's word. Amen. And in the beginning was the word. Yep. And the word was with God and the word then became flesh and dwelt among us, then it got written down. Come on. So before it was written, the word lived. Come so on. I'm not going to worship a text. I'm going to worship the God who inspired the text. Right. Amen. Right? Come on. So there are a lot of scriptures that have been misread and misinterpreted. People go to Leviticus and Romans. They go to Sodom and Gomorrah. That stuff wasn't mainly about sexual relationship. It was about hospitality and about treating people hospitably who were enemies or who were strangers and trying to figure out what to do with them. The sexual stuff was an add-on and even the sexual stuff, the same-sex stuff, homogenitalia is different than homosexuality. It was about same-sex relationships, but the, but the commentary wasn't about the same-sex relationship. It was about the moral orientation, not the sexual orientation. Come on, preach. So when you read those scriptures, we ain't got time. This ain't no theology class. This is a sermon. Preach. But I will say this about those troubling texts. When you do a thorough theological and scriptural and biblical and hermeneutical and liturgical and linguistic and etymological study, you going to see that what I'm saying is right. But don't take my word for it. Study yourself. Yep. And when you look at those scriptures, what they are talking about is essentially the moral commitment of the individual conscience of a Christian to its ultimate source of vitality, God. And so most of those scriptures are not about that because they don't even conceive of sexuality the same way two centuries ago, three centuries ago, a few millennia ago as we do today. Homosexual as a category has just been generated in the last hundred years and not even that. Come on. Just like race operates in a different way. And we know that when we talk about how stuff is created over space and time in a relative new invention, we trying to read the Bible through the lens of what we believe now. Come on. So, so, so Jesus says, come out. And the first thing we got to come out is the literal interpretation of the Bible. Black folk got to give that up. I get it. I know you want comfort. I know you want security because everything in your life messed up. Economy all jacked up. Obama trying to work with these crazy folk on the other side. They don't want to give them no love. 
I wish I could be there February 21st for you. I'm going to be down in Atlanta with Keisha Knight pulling. We're going to be doing our thing for Obama there. We're going to do what we can do. But the reality is your life jacked up. You want security. Chaos of your life. Your, your domestic life is full of tragedy and trauma. Your children won't act right. You ain't good with your people that you know the people on your job don't act right. So the last place you want instability is in the Word. So you just lodge all of your expectation and desire in believing in the literal translation of the word. First of all, it's been translated a whole bunch of times. So before you get literal about something, what one you being literal about? Y'all worshiping the King James. That's a translation, y'all. Yep. Come on. Come on. Jesus wasn't going around, thus thou therefore will be. Be off then. I must need go. That ain't how he was hollering. Come on. Preach. So the reason we need to give up the literal, biblical literalism, first of all, Negroes couldn't read for 200 years. Come on. Amen. That would be the first reason. Amen. What you're being literal about. For 150 years, Negroes were forbade to read. Yep. Amen. So when you talked about the word, what were you speaking about? The spirit of God. You were speaking about the love and commitment and passion of the animating force of the universe. Yes, we see it reflected in the word. I believe that the word is the inspired word of God. But inspired doesn't mean that you are dicta dictating dictation. That everything Jesus said you wrote down. Everything God said you wrote down. No. Inspiration means you got the spirit of creativity and imagination. And the spirit came over you and guided the themes that you began to articulate. Yep. It don't mean every word is right. If that's the case, you'd still believe the world was flat. Yep. That's on. in the Bible. You would believe the literal application of the Bible. You would oh, yeah. be promoting slavery. Come on, preach. Literally, the Bible says that. Oh, yeah. Look at, look at Colossians. Look at Ephesians. Look at Timothy. Look at Peter. They all say, slaves, obey your master and treat them with respect. Come on, respect. And don't go against them. Negroes wasn't having none of that. Amen. Amen. We Come said, on. what else up in there? That, that, that ain't enough. That's really not enough. That's why Howard Thurman's grandma would never let him read Paul. She said, you can read everything else except Paul. Come on. Because I'm not down with that. She had her own canon, her own interpretive principle that regulated the fidelity she showed to the biblical narrative. Yeah. In other words, everybody making up, picking and choosing because you're not being literal about the Bible. It says women shouldn't speak. All these women who are against gays should be quiet because you have no authority over men. Amen, 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 amen. Right? Don't contradict me. I'm ordained. Come on. Preach, preach. Come on. Unfortunately, my wife does not abide by that principle. But what? <laughs> Come on. So how, are you picking and choosing? Women ain't supposed to talk. No authority over men. Are you going to hold that literally true? Come on. Do you believe that women should come to church without hats? The Bible says you shouldn't come without a hat on your head. Yep. They, wasn't, they didn't have no sense of Gucci. Back in the day, old school. Old they didn't have a sense of Versace. The cosmology of the ancient world held that the head was the arena into which entered demons of the larger universe. So the hat was to protect the physical penetration yep. of the psyche from distorted and demonic presence. Yep. You don't even believe that. Amen. Amen. 
Because you got to, you know, got to wear a hat and a wig. I'm just saying, I'm just... Really, though. Some extensions. You you got to get a whole bunch to keep them demons out. Oh, yeah. Keep the demons out. Played against gay marriage. A lot of us would not be standing here preaching today. And ain't but one doing it. We're going to legislate against adultery. A lot of us couldn't preach today. A lot of us couldn't be here today. Are we going to legislate against that? Are you going to hold snakes and handle them with poison? Are you going to drink poison to prove that God is still God? What part are you being literal about? And so the principle doesn't even make sense to you. But you continue to adhere to a nominal commitment to a literal interpretation that doesn't even serve you in your practical existence as a Christian. Now, the problem is, of course, is that we feel that if we lose a literal interpretation of the Bible, we'll no longer be real and Christian and in connection with God. Either you worship God or you don't. Either you believe in the spirit is still alive or you don't. Either God is still alive. When you close the Bible, you haven't closed God's mouth or mind. God is still alive, still speaking. So the literal interpretation of the Bible, we must come out from like Jesus removing the stone or having it removed. And here we are in death clothes and we are doing the same thing. This literal interpretation has really prevented us from understanding the real movement of the big word, the vital word, the important word, because everything that's important ain't contained in the Bible. Come on, Bible ain't speaking about nuclear aggression, Come on. but it's real. Yep. The Bible ain't saying nothing to do about China Come on. or economic domination. Come on. Or outsourcing or downsizing has nothing to say about the shift from manufacturing to service industries. Come on, preach. Now it has principles that can be applied, but there is no literal correlation between the ideas we find resonant in the contemporary arena and the ancient world from which we draw biblical inspiration and application to our condition. All I'm saying, my brothers and sisters, is that we must come out from this literal interpretation because we are reinforcing the victimization of brothers and sisters who happen to be gay or lesbian or transgender or bisexual. Now, now a lot of folk who are gay or lesbian, transgender, bisexual, don't even like the word homosexual because they're not homosexual in terms of the traditional sense. Queer is better because it challenges normative sexuality. Queer means that, because you could be bisexual, not just monosexual. You, you and, and both gay folk and straight folk mad, make up your mind. Come on. What you gonna do? Come on, preach. Woody Allen said, it's great to be bisexual because you increase by 50% your chances of getting a date on Saturday night. Go with him. He or she. You got two ways to go. Bisexual. Oh, it's Tuesday. Here we are. Looking at brothers and sisters, we know, we know are full of God's spirit. It's your choice. That's all. Just a choice. Please, in the name of Jesus, for them to come out. Not coercively. We're not trying to force people out of a closet that they have found themselves in or a tomb or a cave in which death resides. In which we've murdered possibility. Come on. In which we've annihilated a sense of self. Come on. Hypocritically. Knowing that those who minister to us in song are gay 
or lesbian or bisexual transgender or from the pulpit we listen to their words and sometimes their words are so caustic and homophobic themselves why is that because the gay identity the lesbian identity the bisexual identity and the transgendered identity that you hate they do too because they grew up in the same world you grew up in yep. where it's a problem where it's a sin where yep. it's a trauma yep. where it's against god where it's yep. an abomination yep. where it is a source of yep. death yep. and so gay people learn lesbian women learn transgendered and bisexual people learn to hate the self too so they don't want to admit to themselves so they have to come out to themselves first but like lazarus they need help they need some divine direction and guidance to forgive them for their lack of creative love for self. But that lack of creative love for self has been instantiated in them, placed deep in them by a culture that teaches them to hate themselves. That's why gay suicide is on the rise for teens. Young teens who figure out who they are. What are you going to blame them? They chose this lifestyle. They're seven years old, discovering they like boys more than girls or girls more than boys than the opposite sex. You're going to blame some kind of highfalutin theory on them. You're going to call them perverse. They chose their sexuality. You say, really, when did you choose to be heterosexual? It's a choice. Well, about eight years old? You're right. You wrote up on your mama, look. I made a decision today. Yep. I'm going to be heterosexual. There you go. I need a car and a black book. And I need to learn how to drink real fast. Yep. And I want some money in the... Is that how it works? Yeah. Hear me now. Is it a choice, really? Yeah. Can you choose to be gay tomorrow? Yeah. If it's a choice, choose. Yeah. Yeah. It's a if choice. it's a choice, make it. Choice. Get up tomorrow morning and see if you can be gay. Yeah. Or, or see if you can be so-called queer see if you can be non-normative sexual deviant see if you can be full of the abomination that you so detest see if your sexuality can respond to your volition see if that's real come on preach and if it ain't stop making announcements with such authority about gay folk choosing something you have no idea about because some of the last people to want to choose to be gay are gay themselves why would you want to do that in a world till you learn to love yourself and learn what the beauty and splendor are gay just like some folk didn't want to be black just passing sexual passing of course it happens all the time get you a bunch of girlfriends act like you interested get you a boyfriend have a baby act like you're gonna get married that's what you do you've been taught you know the script you've been forced and coerced into a heteronormative experience which means heterosexuality provides the ethical norm against which you judge everything else so you do this to yourself because you deny it to yourself you refuse to acknowledge what you are through no fault of your own this is what you respond to you do not determine what stimuli erotically fascinate you man if we tell the truth i look at look at my own life i'm surprised about stuff that helps me out Amen. i ain't saying nothing else i'm just saying I'm not saying a word. And 
so I'm asking you, Jesus says, come out. The miracle of coming out is to come out to yourself. And yet here we are. Look how hypocritical we are. We say, well, I could see this, but all of those gay ministers in the pulpit and all those bishops who are self-hating and they're beating up. Why do they lie to these women? Because you don't provide them safe space for them to claim their identity. If they could be gay and a minister, gay and a bishop, gay and an imam, gay and a religious leader. And if they were allowed to come out and you could see that being gay ain't got nothing to do with whether they can preach or sing, whether they can render service, whether they can be doctors or lawyers or philosophers or whether they can be in the military. Don't ask, don't tell is ridiculous. You ain't mad when somebody in a foxhole knows their way around the foxhole to help you out. Gay bullets don't shoot anything but straight. So look at the look at the idiocy and the unscientific superstition that clouds our thinking. Come on. Preach. About sexuality and about its relationship to God. Hey. And so these folk don't even want to acknowledge to themselves often they hate themselves and this is why the process of coming out is a miracle. Because the self-hatred that has been deeply inscribed in their beings that they've been taught that it is wrong, that it's against God, that God will not love them. And look how we lie. We say nothing is too hard for God. Now, now some people take that to mean, well, God going to convert you then. Now, that don't even work. Can I tell you, let me save you some time and money. All them conversion classes ain't working. This gay therapy trying to convert people. Let me turn to the philosopher Sean Carter. You is who you is, player. You is before you got here. Who you was, player. That's a philosophical argument. Right? I'm not arguing for an essential identity. There is flexibility. That's the problem. There is a continuum. That's the problem. We get upset because what are you saying? That's why I don't want to be next to a gay person. Are they going to convert me? Maybe I'll start liking what they like. Oh my God, I'm afraid. If you're so secure in what you're doing, what you scared of? Maybe you got some questions and curiosities. Maybe you're more gay friendly than you realize. More bi-curious than you know. And so coming out to themselves is critical. And you and I, like Jesus, must provide a loud call to come out. And that loud call must bring them from the doldrums and the depression and the self-hatred into which they have been thrust. And then when you think about that, coming out from that biblical literalism, coming out of those closets, and everybody has a closet. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus yeah. said it's a good place to go pray, but don't live there. Yeah, pray in my closet. Don't live in no closet. Nope. Here we are forcing gay and lesbian, transgender, bisexual people live in the closet. How many people preaching to you who you loved have been in the closet? They done preach some homophobic sermons. Come on. While they are gay and lesbian, transgender, bisexual, because they have been forced into the closet. Yep. Like Lazarus, they are dead to themselves. Yeah. And what more proof do you need that it ain't no choice and that you ain't just choosing to do this than if you a right-wing senator who stands against being gay and you go to the bathroom and you toe-touching under the stall? Why? I mean, he don't like that. 
hates himself, hates the world that produced him, therefore he's more rapidly homophobic. You know how it is when you're black and you hate being black and you don't want nobody else to know you black and you acting like nobody know you black. So you hate Negroes and you blacker than dark midnight and ain't nobody gonna miss it. And you can sit on the court or wherever you sit I'm just saying, and, and you can you can hurt yourself, and you can hurt us because you hate yourself. I ain't got nobody in mind. I got a lot of people in mind. And you hate yourself, and you perform that hate as a ritual Woo! of public denouncement wow. and denunciation of your kind. Wow. So that's why you got a lot of gay people homophobic because they trying to win your approval to prove to you how heterosexual they are, how normal they are, how religious they are, how righteous they are, how much they love God. Wow. Come out that closet. Come out of that self-hatred and you and I must nurture an open space where people who are gay or lesbian or transgender bisexual can come out. Guess what? Jesus already said it. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Ain't no asterisk except gay people. And why is it that black folk get so mad when gay folk compare themselves to us? Oh my God, Jiminy Cricket. You're not black. You're gay. You can, you can do something. You can hide it. Okay. I mean, that's the aesthetic dimension. Although, arguably, maybe not so successful. But for the sake of argument, let's say that's true. The point is, y'all, how you gonna claim copyright on the civil rights movement when King got it from Gandhi? Uh, and he got it from a Jewish cat named Jesus. It ain't black, Jewish and Indian civil rights movement. So how you gonna claim proprietary rights on an idea of freedom and justice and democratic urges. So King himself went to India, was influenced by, by Gandhi, read Fisher's book on the little brown saint, was inspired by him. Satyagraha in Ahimsa ain't from the hood. That's not some young girl's name. Okay, okay. Come on. Three. But your name is Satyagraha. That ain't Shaniqua. Nope. And I love Shaniqua. Those are principles derived from Indian philosophical arguments about nonviolence and the refusal of the soul to concede the legitimacy of violence that defined itself against your humanity. All I'm saying, y'all, is that that stuff was already borrowed. That stuff was already improvised. Don't get mad when gay and lesbian people look at us. That's, a, that's, that's, that's recognizing how great we were and how we put it down. And they trying to do the same kind of thing. Why are you mad? And you're acting like none of the people who helped us get our freedom as black was gay too. Or lesbian. Or transgender to bisexual. Angela Davis? Oh, didn't know, did you? Uh-huh. Right. And she was more gangster than a lot of y'all. Oh, before the hip hoppers were talking about rat-a-tat-tat, never hesitate to put a brother on his back, she did. Metaphorically, linguistically, analogically, she walked out and she warred against the principalities of white supremacy. Are you going to be mad at her sexual orientation? Alice Walker! In the color purple, James Baldwin! Bayard Rustin, Audra Lorda, Barbara Smith! And a whole bunch of folk who ain't even came out. 
secretly gay, forced into a closet you wanted to see them in because you didn't want them to enjoy the spaciousness of your theological room, the kitchen where they cooked for you. You turn them into theological servants, and some of us get so vicious in our homophobia, we turn into sexual orientation rednecks. Apologize to the Ku Klux Klan when you look at what you do and you don't even get the, the, the miserable parallel. You using the Bible against gay people and lesbian people and, and bisexuals and transgender the same way white folk use it against us. And you have no sense of irony or shame. Come out of that. Come out of the need to worship and fetishize your own experience and realize that God is calling all of us to come out from the deadening places of our theologies, from the dead places of our churches that are spiritually cramped because we don't recognize the contribution of our brothers and sisters who love uh, the Lord as much as we do, who want to get married like we do. It's amazing to me gay folk even want to get married. Come on, preach. I'm just saying, you got to pass. Like, like, why are you messing up? I mean, what, what's up with... Let's, the only thing we can holler to gay people, look, dude, you got the thing where nobody expects you to get married, and yet they want to get married. What a great endorsement for marriage. That even when you can't, quote, normally and naturally under law, get married, you want to be together. Like black folk in slavery who were prohibited from marriage. And when they escaped, they loved their wife, who they couldn't officially and legally marry, or their husband so much, and the children who were not officially recognized so much that they risked recapture and stayed in the neighborhood just to visit them again. I'm almost done. I'm saying to you, please don't dismiss the parallels. There are some disanalogous features, some stuff that don't ring true, true enough. And there are some gay and lesbian and transgender bisexual people who are as racist as the day is long. Just like there's some black folk who are homophobic as the day is long. So your sexual orientation is not the determinant of your moral abilities or your ethical capacities. It ain't your sexual orientation. It's your moral orientation. Because you can be straight and doing some crooked stuff. And you can be gay praising God with exemplary behavior. And so, and so in black folk, we got enough numbers down. We need to get our numbers up anyway on marriage. We need to promote gay marriage and dog marriage. We we need to. We're going to count them in the census as black people. They're in our house. They're part of us. Right? Fido married Fidelia, and now they got eight puppies. That's black marriage. The miracle of coming out is that Jesus affirms the precious character of the lives of those who have been closed away, secreted into closets of neglect, self-hatred, and denial. Come on, preach. And so when you see the casual homophobia of black people, jokes. Did you think it was a joke when Jeremy Lin was referred to in the ESPN chink in the armor? Did you think that was funny? And yet you have no sensitivity to jokes casually made about people of a different and alternative sexual orientation. 
Black people need to be the last people on earth engaging in justifying the theological hatred of people. You and I must embrace a God who calls us out, out of our closets. And, and when we free gay and lesbian and transgendered and bisexual brothers and sisters, we free ourselves. We free ourselves to open up to new possibilities that God has for us. We free ourselves to love and accept ourselves. Amen. And when we affirm other people in their ability to love God and be loved by God, Amen. Amen. then you and I live truly and ultimately as Christian men and women on Amen. earth who do not worship a Bible or a literal interpretation, nope. but we worship a living God. Amen. The Bible didn't call him forth. Jesus did. Amen. Words didn't call him forth. Come the on. word did. Amen. Before you too cautiously and sometimes cruelly dismiss the legitimacy of your Brothers and sisters, come on. Understand that some of your mamas and daddies, uncles and aunts, come on. People you loved who themselves were afraid or incapable of acknowledging their own path yep. and their own orientation. Come on. Loved you enough to produce you. Now as you rise up and you've been nurtured in their womb, don't engage in retroactive homophobia. Come on. If I had known, I would have never taken your money for college. Oh, if I had known, I would have never been benefited by your, your wisdom and your wit and your intelligence. I'm saying to you, Jesus says, like he says to Lazarus in a loud voice, come out. Yep. And the miracle of coming out is that we are able to take off the death clothes and the grave wrappings. That, that is not a part of God and to claim the freedom and the spirit and the love and the personal acclamation of God, God's self. Yes. These were Jesus's friends. Amen. And so are we. And so we say, if these are and we are Jesus's friends, you don't have the right nope. to send them into a death from which Jesus awakens them. Amen. So your role should be to be like Jesus in calling Lazarus out. Amen. Come out. Not forcing somebody out of a closet. Not being callous about you're going to out them. Oh, you're really gay and I know you're gay. Understand why they can't acknowledge it. Come on. And understand what you must do. Amen. To transform this culture and our churches. Because guess what? Gay and lesbian people have been singing for us when we preach homophobic sermons. They've been loving us even despite the fact that we were being vicious and nihilistic and denying them legitimacy. And they have, of course, received the spirit of God and ministered to us. And we must relinquish come on. our own theological closets come on. and come out into the fullness of God's love. Amen. And only then will we be able to embrace each other as brothers and sisters in Christ Amen. and live the full meaning of the gospel to which Jesus points. Amen. God bless you. Amen, amen, amen. You've been listening amen. to a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship service at Andrew Rankin Memorial Chapel on the campus of Howard University. To purchase a copy of today's Esther, the book of Esther.